Welcome to Refresh, a podcast designed to revive, recharge, and renew your faith and give you the tools to follow Jesus. Refresh comes to you from the Salvation Army in Gwinnett County, Georgia. We meet in person every Sunday at 1030 a.m. or online on Facebook and YouTube at Sal Army Gwinnett. We are excited that you have joined us this week and pray that God will bring his word to life. And now for our speaker. Well, it's been some time, not just since I've been up here, but since we left off in our scripture. And it had been some time when James had started his book since Stephen was killed for his faith, if you recall in the book of Acts. And shortly after he was, all of the believers, they, they scattered from Jerusalem to places like Cyprus and Antioch. They were fearful. The followers of Jesus were fearful that staying in Jerusalem was a death sentence, that they couldn't do it. They didn't have the faith, they didn't have the strength to carry on. They felt it was too close to the heat, that they were just an arm's reach in case there was a slip-up within the church. But not all believers scattered. Not everyone left Jerusalem. There were some that stayed, that felt that it was their place to stay and to fight. And one of those believers was James, the brother of Jesus Christ. Now, he felt that it was important for him to stay there in Jerusalem to continue the work his brother started. He, he knew, James knew, that Jerusalem would forever be the Holy Land, the place where Jesus stood tall when he was before the high priest on behalf of his father, and the same place where he fell to his knees on behalf of his people. Now you may think that James always believed that his brother Jesus was the Messiah. I mean, after all, they grew up together. It would be easy to think that, but that's not how it was. We all, we've got brothers. We know. That's not how it was. James was the eldest brother. And he probably had an older brother complex. Very common, especially at this time. That James probably would have thought he was the rightful heir to whatever it may be. He's the oldest. The younger brother wasn't the one that usually held power in any of the families. And when I was going back to read that, I was reminded yet another way that Jesus came and turned things upside down. James even, in Scripture, even questioned his own brother's divinity in John chapter 7. He questioned him. In John 7, when the Feast of Tabernacles was approaching and they were in Galilee, his brothers told him to go to Jerusalem. They said, stop messing around up here. Stop wasting your time in Galilee. Go to Jerusalem. And in fact, his own brothers told him that 
If you want to be a public figure, if anyone wants to be a public figure, you don't do it in secret. But instead, you make yourself known. Go to Jerusalem. In other words, if you are the Messiah, O brother, why haven't you told anyone yet? The Messiah is going to come and be a military leader. And I've seen you as a kid. You ain't no military leader. I saw what happened when you fell out of the tree. I know what that's like. And why would the Messiah hide in Galilee on top of all things? And so I started asking why the push to go to Jerusalem? Why were they pushing them and pushing them and pushing them? Go to Jerusalem. Go to Jerusalem. And I'm going to tell you what I found. Is because literally in John chapter 7, as they were telling him, go to Jerusalem, they had just witnessed three things that their, he, that their brother did. The first thing that they saw was that he healed a man who was disabled for 38 years. Told him to stand up. And he did. And then he fed 5,000 men with the boys' lunch. And then they saw him walk on water. And even after that, the only response his own brother said to Jesus was, go to Jerusalem. Now you may be thinking, so you can take over. Mm. It was so that his claim to the Messiahship could be validated by the Sanhedrin. Because simply put, as it was for any Jewish boy, his own brothers would believe the word of the Sanhedrin before the word of their brother Jesus. They have to validate you. But take rest knowing that James, the brother of Jesus, eventually comes to follow him, to call Jesus Savior. There was a day in James's life when he looked at his brother Jesus and he did no longer from that moment forward saw his little brother, but from that day he looked at his, his brother and said, there is the face of God. And he fell to his knees and asked for forgiveness and started to follow him. You're not, you're not, you're not just my brother, you're now, you're now my savior. And started following. And though James was not one of the 12 disciples, he becomes a passionate believer, passionate believer, and he followed Jesus to his death. To the day he died, James followed him. In fact, James is one of the few people that Jesus appeared to after his resurrection. When he came back from the grave, Jesus said to go see James, and he did, and there he appeared to him. James was also one of the original followers that was filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. He was there. He was, in the, he was, he was a part of that movement that he received the Holy Spirit. He then joins the remaining disciples after that to go spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. He will go on to become one of the strong pillars of the Jerusalem Council, the church that's there in Jerusalem. He would be known as a man of high reputation. He, had a, he was a wise leader, a peacemaker. And the one that really stood out to me, because I found this over and over again, 
that he was known as a true pastor to his people. And perhaps one of the greatest names that he was given was actually by a Greek philosopher in the second century. And the name he referred to James was Old Camel Knees. Old Camel Knees. Because James was often found alone in the temple on his knees, begging for God to forgive his people, the Jews, every single time they turned his back, their back on him, every time. And it was said that James's knees was calloused from the amount of time he was on the ground, like that of a camel. And the Apostle Paul, we know how hard it is to please that guy, the Apostle Paul speaks very highly of him throughout his entire writings, often citing that, that when there was a dividing issue, almost every single time there was a dividing issue regarding the Gentiles and if they should follow the Jewish laws once they believe, that there would be huge divisions among the church, that the Gentiles are then to become like the Jews. And then Paul will say, but no, we have freedom in Christ. We don't have to follow it like that. And they would go back and forth and they would always bring in James to be the weighing decision maker. And it is said in scripture that his wisdom always provided truth and solution to the issues of the church. It was also James, by the way, who decided that Gentiles were not required to be circumcised to join the faith. That was a long argument then. And while he was sitting on the Jerusalem council, after the great scattering from Stephen's death, James decided to write a letter. Now that would later become known as the book of James. And now why write a letter? Why pin something down? And as I was looking into his life, and I was looking into the letter itself, it was very evident why. And it was because of the pastor and him. And even though his people had scattered from Jerusalem all across the region, not likely to see them again, he was concerned for their hearts. He was concerned for their soul. He wasn't quite sure what situation they were arriving to. He was concerned that they would abandon their faith and so he had to quickly, his, his heart said, I have to write something down. I have to put something on paper to send to them. Because you see, pastors do that. They're concerned for their people. They're concerned for, for their souls and for their lives and for their troubles. They're concerned for them when they're within their flock and they're concerned when they're not. That this is what pastors do. And, I, and when I read, when I saw his heart, then I could read his letter. Then I could see what he was trying to write. And it was with that heart, with a pastor's heart, that he grabbed his pen and then he began to write. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. And then just in the first verse of this very letter that we are witnessing to, we are seeing before our eyes the transforming love of Jesus Christ. We are seeing James from the first sentence identifying himself, clear as day. He, he was an early skeptic of Jesus, but now he's proclaiming that I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. You notice that he did not write James, a leader of the Jerusalem council, an elder of the original church. No, James, a servant of Jesus Christ. Because the other stuff doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what position we hold. It doesn't matter where we sit at what chair at the table. All of that matters is are we a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ? And James himself, the brother of our Savior, says, I don't care about the titles. I don't care about any of that stuff. Please identify me only as a servant of Jesus Christ. Please. That's all I want to be known for. A servant of God, nothing more, nothing less. And this is the condition of his heart when he started writing the letter. A servant. He then, right after that, identifies his audience. Right there at the beginning, it is written for the scattered 12 tribes. Or simply put, for the Jews. He's writing it to his people especially those who scattered after Stephen's death, the scattered 12 tribes. And so his pastor heart was probably, probably worried that his people are, are, are starting to get scared, to get filled with fear on what the, the, the situation is going to be, questioning if following Jesus is even worth it. Was it worth this? Is fleeing now going to be the only answer for me and my family? This is, this is probably James, why I have to put this on paper now. That this is, this is probably why that the introduction to this book is so short. It is so short. You see, when Paul writes a letter, he likes to throw in a little, you know, a little fluff in there. And so he likes to say, you know, greetings and praise and thanksgivings and, you know, uh, send my greetings to so-and-so. I'm actually going to be in your neck of the woods this time next year. Save me a seat. He likes to, to kind of warm up, and then he really gives it to him, right? And so he kind of like wants to ease his way in there. But James, he has to get straight to it. He's concerned for his people. In fact, it says right there in verse 2, he says, consider it a pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God. Who gives generously to all without finding fault? And it will be given to you. 
But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. And such a person is double-minded and unstable in all that they do. Now, did you feel the tension just in the first eight verses? There was no greeting, you know what I'm saying? It was straight to it. You can still feel the heaviness of what they're battling and going through, the fear that they're facing, the scatterness of the church is even going to last past a decade, next to the next generation alone. You can feel this tension. And he sounds like, to me anyway, when I was reading that, it sounds like a pastor trying to bring comfort to, and peace to his people who have been absolutely shaken to the core. What do you mean we could be killed for our pastor? What do you mean we could be killed for our faith? Consider it a pure joy. But wait, what do you mean I have to uproot my life and scatter and move from place to... Consider it a pure joy. I thought the Messiah was going to bring peace to this chaos. Brother and sisters, consider it a pure joy. Whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Now I want you to focus on that phase right there. The testing of your faith. The testing of your faith. That when you and I joined into the family of God, each of us in this room, hearing us online, anywhere on this planet, we were all given a fundamental gift that is required to follow Jesus. We were all given this. And that gift is faith. We were all handed it because it took faith to get it, to go approach him, to receive that forgiveness. And so then we were handed faith. Now I'm brought to an image of a buoy floating in the water. Now, I can remember as a kid, small kid, swimming in a local lake back in West Texas. Yes, we do have small watering holes there. Uh, and, I, and we called them big giant lakes. We thought it was like the Atlantic Ocean, you know. But I remember going to this lake. And there were buoys out in the distance kind of marking out where the swimmers were allowed to be. Because if you passed the buoys, that was dangerous water. It was deep, and that's where the boats went. And so the swimmers stayed on this side of the buoys. Now, I remember the day I, first of all, got the skills, but then the courage to swim all the way out to the end of the buoy, right there, just to touch it. I just want to touch it, right? I'm going to play with danger a little bit. You know, I don't want to, like, go all in, but I'm just going to touch it. And then I would swim out there, and I felt like it was forever long, and I swam and swam and swam, and then I'd touch it, and then I'd turn around, and I would swim back. It was a passage to manhood without a doubt, just to do this thing back and forth. Now, I didn't realize it then, when I was swimming out to this buoy and, and, and challenging myself and proud of myself, Mom, did you see? Mom, did you see that I swam all the way out there and all the way back? but I didn't realize it then, but there was one thing that I needed that buoy 
to have, to do, without question. And I needed it to be anchored. It had to be anchored. Now, a little boy is not thinking about that. But it needs to be anchored so it's not moving. So that way my swim is getting further and further. I'm never going to touch this thing. But it doesn't move. It's right there. Because if it wasn't, this swimmer would cross over into dangerous waters. It would be deep. I can't touch anymore. It would be boats coming by. However, if it was anchored, we could see the line clearly between safe and dangerous. And day after day, this little buoy that we sit there would be tested by wave after wave slamming against it over and over and over. As every boat drove by, another wave slams the buoy, but it doesn't move. It's right there, and it's warning every little swimmer, do not pass me. It is dangerous back here. Stay there, over there. And I remember this as a child. This is the gift that is given to each of us through our faith in Jesus Christ. You see, each of us have faith, but we all do not have it equally. We don't. Faith is given to us when we find Jesus, but then at that point in time, it is up to you and me to anchor it or to let it float away. Getting further and further to reach when we need it. Now, I'm going to tell you that there's some in our church that have strong faith. You can feel it when you're around them. It's just beaming off. That buoy hasn't moved in a while. You know what I mean? It's, it, is, it is anchored. In fact, they go around the church singing that in every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. You know? They are strong in the faith. They know where they stand. And then there are some of us who are just one wave away from floating off. Barely hanging on. I'm going to tell you that our faith will and it must be tested. It has to be. It has to be tested. Because a tested faith is a strong faith. Unbreakable. Unshakable. Tested. This is why, friends, you and I, and James in this book, says, consider it a pure joy. Not take despair, you're being tested. Consider a pure joy. Bring it on, Satan. Bring it on. Because I'm anchored. I, can, I may take a little hit now and then with those waves, depending on how big they are. But guess what? I'm not moving. This is where I belong. And I know who I belong, where my identity is. Because I'm anchored. And I love what James says in the next verse. So how do you get this? Well, how do I, how do I get to that point? All he says is, ask. Just ask for it. Ask for that faith. He says, you want it? Then ask. He clearly states in verse 5 that God responds favorably to those that ask. He writes that God gives, he gives generously. Not just, here's a little bit now. Come back when you get through. He says, take it all. 
Here, generously. I'm not keeping tally. I'm not keeping counts. Here, take it all. You're my child. Now, I'm going to tell you that this is because God has been giving since the beginning. He has been giving since the moment that the earth was formed. He gave Adam a wife. He gave Noah a boat. He gave Israel manna every single morning. He gave Abraham an entire nation. He gave David a kingdom. He gave Solomon wisdom. You see, he gave Jonah a fish. He gave Paul true sights that he could see. And he gave his one and only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish. Will not perish, but have everlasting life. He is a giving God. And I have missed preaching the word of God. Man, I have missed this. He's a giving God right there in chapter 1 of James. And James is saying right here that he is not done giving. He's not done. That wasn't, wasn't giving of yesterday years or the time past, but he's giving now. That God wants to give us wisdom. He wants to give us salvation. He wants to give us peace. He wants to give us faith of these things. Wisdom that surpasses the understanding of this world. It is yours at your fingertips if you ask for it. But verse 5 clearly says that if anyone lacks wisdom, just ask. Ask for it, and it will be given to you generously. But then you'll notice that there's a catch, and yes, there is. There is a but. Because in the following verse it says, but when we ask, but when we ask, we must believe and not doubt. We have to believe. Do you see where the wisdom and the faith come together? You want wisdom? Have faith. Believe. Remember, church. Remember that James is not talking to new converts. He is speaking to believers who have scattered among the earth there. That this isn't the new converts class on Sunday morning. That he is writing this to those who are following the way. Who in this room is doing the same? This book is for you. He's wrote this book for us. Those who call on the name of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. As followers of the way. James says greetings. I'm going to tell you as I kind of close here that he ends this little section of chapter one talking about what happens to the person who doubts. A person that truly doesn't believe when they ask. James, I'll be honest with you, it's a little harsh, but you're gonna have to kinda which, uh, get used to that with this guy. It's James, he's talking to, uh, talking to believers. He's talking to us. Sometimes we got to hear some things, you know? This is how it is. He says to the one who doubts, who doesn't believe, that this man should not plan on receiving anything from the Lord. You can't go to the Lord with your request, with doubt, and still expect to receive. You can't go to your father or to your mother and request with doubt 
and still expect to receive. He says that this is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. And so just like that, in like six verses, we went from he gives generously, just asks for it, to unstable and double-minded. It kind of means business. And in fact, that word double-minded, when I dug around and looked in the Greek of what that is, it literally actually translates into English, two souls. That that person is like a man who has two souls. He's saying that a doubter has one soul that he brings when he goes to the Father with his needs, in his church, among his, his peers, but then he has another soul for the rest of the time. We are not to live faith like this, friends. This is not the faith we were called to. We are either in or we're out. James is preaching this entire book, a faith that is totally, completely based on you're in or you're out. That's what the book of James is about. It's an all in or nothing. And then we continue here to say that this type of life, this double-minded, two-souled person leads to an unstable life. This is true to us today. That some of us do have instability in our lives. And it is time for us to look within ourselves and say, am I, do I have two souls? And are they conflicting each other? Are they butting heads? Are they causing instability within my house? Can I never find peace in anything that I do? Are these two just like this because I'm going to tell you that when we choose to live within two souls that there will never be anything good that will come from it ever instead we are to live in one accord with God in faith that he is still a God that gives and he still has you on his mind have you ever prayed a doubtful prayer before have you ever prayed a doubtful prayer before? Because as I was writing this, I was questioning myself that question. <laughs> Have I ever gone? Because when I'm spending time in prayer and I'm writing this, like I'm, as a teacher, I'm thinking, I have to ask the questions on, am I living this before I can preach it? And so I asked, if, do, if I doubted prayer, have I gone to God before not really expecting my prayer to be answered? Or a better question might be, is there something that you need to pray for right now? That before you walked into church today, you were filled with doubt and disbelief. But maybe the Spirit is moving in you in this moment. And there is something that you need to bring before the King. Is there something on your heart or on your mind? Have you been the buoy that's just floating around in the water? aimlessly maybe drifting yourself or even others within your home to dangerous waters just floating out has this been something you've seen or experienced I'm going to tell you this morning that it's time to anchor down because if we're going to make it through the book of James we got to find our anchor we got to plant it down solid and say that it is, it is on Christ alone that I stand.
No more excuses and no more doubting. We're going to go and dive deep into what God wants from his people. Pray. Pray. And pray. And do it with belief. Thank you for listening to Refresh. Be sure to hit subscribe and like us on Facebook and YouTube to never miss an episode. If you liked what you heard, be sure to share it with your friends and family. We pray that you will be refreshed and ready to take on your week. See you next time. God bless.